Welcome to another episode of the Federal Newswire Lunch Hour Podcast with your host, Andrew Langer. Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the the Lunch Hour with Federal Newswire Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Langer. Joining me today is a colleague of mine. Her name is Patrice Onwuka. She is the director of the Center for Economic Opportunity of the Independent Women's Forum. We have talked with Aunt Nan Hayworth in the past, who's a board member at IWF. Uh, Patrice is also one of the hosts on O'Connor and Company, heard in Washington, D.C. on WMAL. And Patrice and I have worked together there in the interests of disclosure. I, I want to start here, Patrice. Um, as we're recording this, we are just past the end of the comment period on a very important rulemaking having to do with the Fair Labor Standards Act and the gig economy. Uh, Tell us all about this. Absolutely, Andrew. So what's going on is the Biden administration has been unsuccessful in uh, regulating independent contracting across America through the legislative means. Uh, The PRO Act, the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, which was a union-friendly bill, was not able to get through both houses of Congress. So now he's turning to the regulatory side through the Department of Labor. Uh, The Department of Labor, they've proposed a, a, a rule that would rescind a rule that was instituted under the Trump administration. The Trump's rule was very friendly to independent contractors, professionals, gig workers, individuals who are not W-2 employees, but they're 1099 workers. Uh, And so uh, the Biden administration thinks that there is rampant misclassification of independent contractors across the country. They they, they provide no evidence of that. Uh, And then they say, well, now we need a new rule, which is going to make it more difficult for the 64 plus million freelancers across this country who are independent contractors to retain that status. And, And let's get into the why. Right. I mean, there's a reason why they're doing this. They tried this in the Obama administration. As you said, the new Trump rule barely had time to be in effect before they decided to rescind it. Uh, It went into effect in 2021. Why? And and this is not the same as California's AB5, but it is it is analogous to California's AB5 only at the federal level. Why is the left so obsessed with making independent contractors employees? Well, those who say that they're well-intentioned will say, well, we want to ensure that workers have benefits. Uh, They get overtime pay. Uh, They get unemployment benefits if they leave their employer um, or they're getting health benefits. Um, Regardless of how independent contractors currently get those benefits or whether they want them. And in most cases, independent contractors are pay maximizers, not benefits maximizers, meaning they're, they're looking, they don't want health benefits. They already get it through a spouse or they get it through many other means. They want more pay. Uh, now those, I think the more nefarious answer um, is that it's a union friendly giveaway. Yes. I think it's an easy independent contractors because they're not employees, they can't be unionized. And so you're talking, as I said, you know, over 64 million people are freelancers in this country. That's a, a rich opportunity of workers for uh, the, the big uh, public and private sector unions to be able to get access to. We know over to, over the past few decades, um, private uh, unions have been shrinking and dwindling because workers just don't see the value in them anymore. And so by it, forcing independent contractors, reclassifying them as employees, now you have access to lots of people who can be unionized, regardless of the devastating impact that this could lead to. 
Now, so when the uh, Department of Labor put out the proposed rule in all of this, as you said, they make uh, no, they offer no evidence as to how this will benefit workers or why it's going to benefit workers. Uh, on the other hand, as you point out, we have 64 million uh, uh, folks in the gig economy out there in the United States. Uh, you guys have seen some survey data on this uh, and what they believe about what they want. Talk a little bit about that. Sure. In various surveys of women, of just independent freelancers broadly, two out of three and above say that they want to be independent. They they cherish the independent status because they want flexibility. Yes. Maybe they have caregiving duties. Maybe they're caring for an aging spouse, a sick spouse or an aging parent. Maybe they have their own health and uh, and mental health issues that preclude them from working in a traditional nine to five job setting. So they want flexibility and they say that in survey after survey. And you know what, by the way, Andrew, you don't have to be an independent contractor to want more flexibility in your job. Right. I think most people say that these days. No, I was just, I was just going to say, because you, you talk about folks wanting stuff on the pay side. But there mm-hmm. are the and, and and we talk about benefits and there are tangible benefits, right? The the you know whether or not it's uh, unemployment insurance or health insurance or what have yeah. you. But there is the the intangible benefit of flexibility of having sort yeah. of control and ownership of your time and how you get the job done. Um, there's an empowerment factor. Actually, I'll come back to the empowerment factor, but just keep going on the issue of of the of the flexibility. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And so people want this flexibility. And in fact, if they could not have flexible alternatives to a traditional job, they would not be in the labor force. Because some of these factors, as I mentioned, whether it's caregiving or their own health issues, are things that keep them from working. So you, so we already have uh, a, a labor participation rate uh, problem right now where we're losing workers. Imagine if you have el- seniors elderly folks, disabled Americans who are still able to work, but do that independently, right. suddenly they lose that status, you're going to see them drop out of the labor force. That becomes an issue of how do we support them as a country? That becomes an issue of what happens to their own self-worth and well-being. So it's in, flexibility is in, in, in criti- critically important. And uh, there's no answer from the, the Department of Labor about what happens to those flexible work opportunities. We look at California. As you rightly said, the California AB5 law is not exactly word for word in this new Department of Labor rule. Interestingly, though, the DOL says we wish we could have we wish we wish we could have used the same test. We couldn't. They come close to it, and it's still going to have a negative impact. And so, when we look at what happened in California, people lost income. They lost uh, consistent contracts. Businesses were shuttered. Livelihoods were lost. And and we're not just talking about Uber drivers and and Postmates delivery people. We're talking about transcribers, optometrists, musicians, writers. I mean, there. Are hundreds, literally hundreds of occupations that have been negatively impacted because of these this crackdown on independent contracting. So we don't want to see California become a model for right. bad labor policies around for the rest of the country. <laughs> Lord, Lord knows, economic anything in California, we don't want to see it uh, be the model for anything around the country. You guys, um, and, and, and the comment period uh, has passed. Uh, I actually have signed on to one set of comments, filed another set of comments. I know you guys filed right. comments. But before this happened, because this isn't going away, we're going to continue to have this conversation, you guys did a call with activists before this uh, this happened. Yeah. And, and talk about the stories that were being told there. I think those are important as well. 
Oh, yes. We hosted a press call um, a, a few days before the, the, the commenting period ended. We ha had members of Congress, particularly from the, the U.S. Uh, House Labor and Education Committee, led by um, Virginia Fox, who's the ranking member there. Uh, and, but we also had three independent contractors from California who shared their story. One is a yoga coach. This mm -hmm. is a, a, a middle-aged black lady who said, and who's also a writer. And she said, you know, I was making, I forget exactly how much she said, but she was making a tremendous amount as an independent coach and, and speaker and all of that. And she saw those opportunities disappear because of AB5. We had a woman who heads up freelancers against AB5, Karen Anderson. Her group has tens of thousands of people from California who were talking about how they have been negatively impacted. And finally, we had Santa. Uh, Patrick That's Turnbull right. is, a, is a Santa Claus entertainer, not just the mall Santas who may be yeah. W-2 employees. He's an independent. And he talked about, you know, if this becomes national policy, there is no way you can run from it. Entertainers, yeah. the entertainment industry was hit so hard before pandemic shutdowns locked, uh, locked out, you know, ended or, or um, you know, made it impossible to have in-person events. So AB5 continues to have those devastating impacts for a lot of people. And we gave voice to those individuals who are, are sounding the alarm. Do not let this come to a state near you. Let's let's pull it back a little bit, and I want you to talk about, and we're gonna because I, I want to talk about about the work you do at IWF. I also want yeah. we're gonna talk about you because you and I have never really talked about your background <laughs> and experience. But let's talk about the Center for Economic Opportunity, and and I want to talk about the issue of empowerment, right? I'm I'm part of where I go, and 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 as I've been talking today and interviewing folks, um, you know, I've been talking about my political philosophy. And things that I believe in, property rights and and uh, uh, intellectual property issues and, and, you know, anyway, thinking about all of these things. One of the things that I lead with in terms of analyzing public policy is I believe in public policies that empower people to act on their own behalf. And I am inherently skeptical of public policies that disempower people to act on their own behalf. Talk about this Fair Labor Standards, this Department of Labor rulemaking, but also talk about it within the context, what I just said, within the context of the Center for Economic Opportunity. Absolutely. So our CEO, we are about ensuring that policies are not just well-intended, but they actually lead to good outcomes for people. Yeah. Outcomes that increase their agency, which is, I think, the word you're getting out here. Your ability to make the decisions, the financial, the economic, the personal decisions that fit your unique circumstances. We want to see that expanded. And, and uh, whether it's scaling back occupational licenses that don't make sense and keep people with felonies out of the, the labor force, or it's you know government crackdowns on independent contracting for people who cannot or choose not to work in a traditional nine to five job and become a W-2 employee. That's what we're about, ensuring that people have access to opportunities, but also more choices. And we live in an economy that's generating um, a tremendous amount of different types and new types of employment right. arrangements. It's time for the federal government to step out of the antiquated system where it was just the worker and the employee and, and step forward, recognizing that we need to figure out ways that to ensure that policy supports that and, and let takes a hands-off approach and, lets, and let people make their decisions. Now, just specifically on this classification, it's wrong. If you are abusing the system as a, as a company or an employer, Good we're point. not letting you off the hook here. 
it's not, we, we don't, we're turning a blind eye to it or we want to encourage it. No, there are means to identify and hold accountable people who are really misclassifying those people that should be their employees. But what, what we're talking about here is that there is not rampant widespread misclassification that, that demands Washington step into every single right. contract between individual workers and, and their clients and say, oh, no, 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 no. Now you have to be an employee. Well, the likelihood is that they can't afford to hire someone yeah. and, and, that, and that person is not going to be hired going forward. It's one of those situations where under the Administrative Procedure Act, under which all regulations are developed, we have the the, the standard of something uh, cannot be arbitrary, capricious, and abuse of discretion, or otherwise not in accordance with the law. And I think, you know, uh, I know you would agree with this. I know a lot of our colleagues agree with this. This was a very arbitrarily written proposal, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. And unfortunately, what it's going to do, it, it leaves everything to interpretation right. of a judge in a particular case. What you need when, when an, a, a client or an individual and a, and a company sit down to figure out, is this an employer? Is this an independent contractor? They need an easy standard that can, can be applicable regardless of the industry, regardless of, of the particulars of, an, of a case. That was happening and that was possible under the Trump rule that is totally erased by this Biden rule. So let's talk about some of the other things that the Center for Economic Opportunity does. Yeah, I know you guys are involved in a whole host of things. You're directing what what other issues are you guys involved in? Oh, boy. Uh, tech is one of those areas where we've waded into. We talk a lot about what's going on with antitrust and tech and, and holding big tech accountable. Um, I, I think our view is you know, uh, there's got to be a balance between, um, you know, saying, taking a hands-off approach to a private company doing what it wants to do with its own rules. And sure. when a private company is, is used as the glove for the government's hand and uh, enacting right. their own policies indirectly, as we are seeing with Twitter and the, and the Twitter files release uh, in the area of just broad economic policy. Boy, Women are business owners. They are the primary shoppers in their house. They are educators. There are so many things. And they know so well what a 40% increase in eggs over the past year means to their family budget. So we talk a lot about, we track inflation on those household items that, you know, that, that, that people are spending. And we're tying it back to why did this happen? How did we get here almost 18 months ago now? And you tie, you tie that right back to massive federal spending. And then, you know, and and what that means going forward. So we're going to be looking at, you know, well, how do we get back to a good place of quality of life? And given that we're, you know, by some measures, most common measures were in a recession or had been in a recession this year and are likely staring down a more significant dip next year. How do we ensure families keep more of their income on our how do we start to push some downward pressure on prices? You know, and how can we get back to a place where people can have um, upward mobility? And right. I think that's been lost from a big picture perspective. By the way, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, remind folks that uh, that uh, the Independent Women's Forum just celebrated their 35th anniversary. You had a wonderful gala. Uh, Vivek <laughs> Ramaswamy was one of the speakers yes. there, also talked about many of these same themes. But let's pull it back to you, Patrice. I, you know, I, I don't think I've got. So how did you get involved in all this? Where did you grow up? I mean, let, let's talk about where yeah. did you grow up? Well, I'm an immigrant. I'm a naturalized citizen now. I came from the Caribbean, moved uh, to Boston in the ghetto, inner city, 1980s, crack epidemic height. And okay. talk about a culture shock, yeah. Andrew. Uh, wow. <laughs> but, you know, man, it, it was hard. Um, but I saw my parents work 
worked extremely hard in menial tasks, save money, buy their first house, buy a piece of America, and tell us you could do the same thing too. Go to work, get your education, and then put then then start your own families and and pursue what you want to do. And uh, and I just end up ended up in a career where I get to herald those basic values that are so universal. Where where you where did you go to college? I mean, did you study political uh, science? Uh, yes, political science at Tufts University, along with okay. economics. Um, went to Boston College and got my master's in something totally different. Racked up a lot of debt uh, yeah. <laughs> doing it. But um, but yeah, and then I, I landed in D.C. Um, after being a speech writer for a few years. Um, I landed in D.C. working in this kind of public policy public policy space in the libertarian right of center movement. Sure. And, and I found my tribe here and I found my voice here. I, I I love that, and and you're doing uh, the 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 stuff on on WMAL. Had you always been interested in radio, or is this just an opportunity that popped up? It was an opportunity that popped up. I mean, I never even saw myself in front of a camera or in front of a microphone whatsoever. I, I thought I was going to be the speech writer, not the person giving the speeches. And okay. you know, I was just given one opportunity after another. And my personality just kind of shined through in the, these different mediums. And I, and I just love putting a different face on conservative values and free markets and capitalism defenders. We, seeing more people like me out there, I think, undercuts a lot of the narratives about who conservatives are. So let's let's uh, let's uh, pull it back. I I had I have been talking about this quite a bit. Pretty much every episode I say this, but I feel that I need to explain it to our guests. So I had at one point been contemplating a podcast called Outside Interests because I think mm-hmm. it's important for people to understand. You know, I, I was talking uh, with uh, with uh, Chef Andrew Gruel uh, on an episode, and he's a, a chef, and we we're talking about how food brings people together. And I was also talking about how music brings people together. But the other thing is, I think, demystifying uh, who conservative or free market or limited government activists are, sort of talking about what they like, finding that common ground, that's inordinately helpful. And the idea is that you have a life outside of, but maybe you don't have a life outside of politics. I don't know. I, I, I was talking to a colleague who really lives and breathes all this stuff. Uh, stuff. But, you know, you, you, you know, I don't know if you have, I don't know. I actually, I don't know if you have, if you have kids, um, but what do you, what do you like to do when you're not doing political stuff? What are you passionate about? Or when you're not doing policy stuff, because there's a difference between politics yeah. and policy. What do you, what do you like to do? What are you, what are you, what are you passionate about? Well, first I'm passionate about my husband. I'm married. We're going on, on seven years. Yes. <laughs> seven years in May. Yes. Uh, thank you. We've got three boys, uh, two wow. of whom are toddlers. So I'm passionate about keeping them busy and they're very active. Uh, you know, and then I'm passionate about uh, things like, you know, hair. I actually think hair for women is one of those things that are uni- it's sure. unifying across all of the race, ethnicities and, 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 and ages, how we grapple with different issues with our hair. And then, you know, from, for fun, I've gotten into a lot of DIY. Uh, and okay. so I, I like to do some DIY uh, decor things at home. It That's probably awesome. drives my husband crazy because I never finished the projects. But you know, I, I think your point is right. We're we're all in the simple individuals and we all have some basic desires, which right. is just to take care of ourselves, take care of our family and know that we're safe. No, I, th- I think I think that is that is uh, that is uh, amazing. It's so funny just on that DIY situation, because my <laughs> brothers, I have uh, two brothers. Um, okay. We do competitive barbecue together, but all of our talents are a little different. So 
Um, my my one brother is really good at, at home repair and you know fix it. Like if my parents need something done at their house, my my youngest brother is going to be able to figure it out. My middle brother okay. very good with I, I, crafting is not the right way to put it, um, <laughs> but he like makes his own furniture. At, literally makes his own wow. furniture, and he he he's very into replica football helmets, like like making replica football helmets. Um, and I, you know, I do I do others. I cook, you know, that's 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 my thing, and I lo- and I love music. So it's but you know it's with my brother, I I, I try to do this. I try to follow them, it, follow in their footsteps, and sort of looking up. Oh, if I need to repair something. How do I do it? If I want to make this, how do I go about doing mm-hmm. it? I do. Do you go on? Do you go online and look at YouTube videos, or do you? Oh yeah, YouTube yeah. videos, Instagram, um, uh, Etsy. You know, I definitely like to. I, I, I try to listen to podcasts from time to time, but I also sure. love kind of those. You know, listening to to short clips of people who've made it in different industries and figuring out. And then real estate, I will say, is the other thing. We have a growing family business there, but really. You know, Figuring out what <laughs> what works, yes, yeah, we're official this year. But um, you know, figuring out what what successful people have learned and how can I transfer that to like our real estate business or just my my work here at IWF at WMAL. I'm also a fellow at the the Philanthropy Roundtable. Oh, I, I didn't do know some that. Writing and media. I, I wear many. We all hats. have our gigs. Listen, we all have our gigs. I <laughs> yeah. got the I've got the the two podcasts and the radio stuff and the policy stuff. So it's all good. It's it's a it's all a matter of of finding. We got to keep. We got to keep ourselves busy. Uh, exactly. and Patrice, listen, and, and listen with the, with three with three boys, two of whom are toddlers. I I I can I can see that that it's very busy. Uh, how do folks find out more about what you're up to at IWF? Well, go to our website iwf.org. All of our information, our, our calls to action are there. If you want to become a part of a community of men and women, particularly women though, yeah. um, you know who ha- are like minds. Go to iwnetwork.com. That's our independent women's network. And we have in-person chapter meetings, maybe in your city or your state. And then I'm always looking for followers on Twitter. That's where I get my my microblogging done, at Patrice Pink file patrice pink file all one word and i share family stuff and but mostly the policy stuff is where i I share that so well listen i'm going to say this as we're recording this i'm going to be working with patrice tomorrow i always look forward to working with you uh, on wmal uh patrice on thank you so very much for joining us today thank you andrew and thank all of you for joining us today this has been the lunch hour with federal newswire i'm your host andrew langer enjoy the rest of your lunch This has been the Federal Newswire Lunch Hour Podcast, hosted by Andrew Langer. Check out the Federal Newswire's family of websites, as well as their social media stream, 